Matt, I've got a little bit of a conundrum. Okay, let's hear it. And, you know, you, you being a dog owner, um, I feel like you might be able to have some insight here. So twice in the last week, I have been scared for my life because of dogs. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I guess I should start by saying that I'm not really a dog person. I uh, didn't grow up with dogs. I'm allergic to dogs, and I've never been all that comfortable around dogs. Okay. And so in general, they give me a little bit more fear than most people, I think. Mm-hmm. But... The first time was on the trail, and then yesterday in someone's, uh, on the street, right in front of my house, really, I've been running by, and a dog just comes chasing after me, barking really loud, <laughs> growling, you know, and starts, like, nipping at my shoes, and it scares the bejeebers out of me. <laughs> so, my question is this. Should I yell at the dog owner for not having him on a leash? Should I just let it go, because nothing has happened? Or, or should I, like just take off running because i want to be you know that kind of good person who lets dogs run free and have fun and enjoy themselves i don't want to be the strict non-dog owner guy but right you know it's scary i don't you know they always come up to you and they say they say oh you know he's he's perfectly innocent he's a very nice dog <laughs> but i don't know that when he's chasing me down you know i don't i don't know what your dog's yeah, intentions are well that's are. true i mean if he's off the leash chances are that is the truth that he's not likely to bite you mm-hmm. would be my guess uh, maybe he, maybe they sense that you don't like them, and that's why they do it. Maybe you need to change starts from within. <laughs> you need to change your own attitude towards dogs first. Um, well, I don't know if that's really it. <laughs> the answer I was hoping for. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I haven't really had that happen. You've never had that happen? That's happened to me a few times, um, and nothing has ever actually happened. But you know, maybe you should carry dog treats with you. Toss dog treats. Then they'll always then they'll come after you every time. Maybe. I, I don't have a good answer for that. I'm not, I mean, I have two dogs and they're not well trained or anything. I can make them sit. <laughs> but it's not like I'm a dog whisperer who, who knows how to. There, there's probably a correct way to respond in that situation, you know, to preserve your own safety. Yeah. Whether it's to stop and talk to the dog or keep running, I don't really know the answer. Um, well, you're no help at all. I thought, no, I'm I thought not. for sure you would have a good answer for me. I think you need to. I think you need to. Check your attitude at the door and and, and change your your uh, right. view of dogs. If I get bitten next week, I'm gonna, <laughs> because I stopped and tried to pet it, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be not not very happy with you. Okay, so let's get to our topic today, and this episode is is motivated by a listener question that we got. We always love to get listener questions in the Subway Fresh Take inbox. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry, Subway, it's not you're not the sponsor. Uh, in our inbox, in the No Meat Athlete Fresh Take inbox. Uh, so we're going to read the question first, and then we'll, we'll kind of get into just what, what kind of some of the other things that surround this topic, why we haven't done it yet. Sure. The question is from Elgin, and they say, I've got a question for you. I have looked up, looked on No Meat Athlete for blog posts on how you got started but couldn't find any. Just curious about your journey from desk job to where you are now. I'd love to hear more about that journey uh, long term, I would love to make a similar move into environmental entrepreneurship. I know it might sound funny making money off the environment, but it's altruism and that's pushing me there, and I have a plan. Okay, good. I like making money off the environment. I like that, <laughs> that idea. It makes you think of the Lorax and exploiting, exploiting the environment and 
all that stuff. Uh, but no, I understand completely. And this, I like this topic. It's one that we have wanted to do for a while because we both do like talking about this sort of thing. Uh, it's 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 meaning, meaningful on a personal level to me, just this idea that you can do something special that just starts out as simple as writing, as simply as, as writing a blog post and publishing it on the internet uh, or starting a podcast and just, you know, talking for 20 or 30 minutes and then putting it out there into the world mm-hmm. and repeating, basically doing that over and over and adapting and getting better at it. And eventually you can, you can do it as your job. You can make change in the world. All kinds of good stuff can come from that. So I am happy to talk about it. I think, uh, you know, we've just been hesitant to do it because it's so a little bit far from the topic. It's not a fitness topic. It's not a health topic. It's not a food topic. But I think as long as we're kind of keeping it in the sphere of eco-friendly businesses, movements, uh, or sustainable, things that kind of matter to our audience and what No Meat Athlete is, and I'm sure, Doug, you can argue that Rock Creek Runners is somehow in there, right? Fitness, sustainability, trails, goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Even though it's not a vegan blog necessarily. It, it tells you to... To embrace the environment you're around. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Uh, so we figured it would be a good thing to talk about. Because we do get this question a lot, and I think some people do just kind of want, even if they don't have a desire to start one of these things themselves, kind of like the behind-the-scenes look at how we got started. Because honestly, as a podcast, we we didn't know what we were doing when we started. <laughs> Nor did we know what we were doing with blogs when we started. Right. Uh, but you learn how it goes, and then the blog was successful, No Meat Athlete was, and then kind of realized that podcast was a, was a growing medium, and we said, let's give it a shot and we've gotten better now we're approaching 150,000 downloads per month so uh while i wouldn't say we're expert podcasters we certainly have some good advice and one more thing to mention is this is one of the reasons why i'm kind of happy to talk about this or or feel okay talking about this is that i did a talk on a very similar topic at the woodstock fruit festival back in 2014 when my wife and son and daughter and i went there daughter she was born then yeah she was around because yeah. Aaron pushed her up that hill. I remember that. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> she was. Um, but anyway, it's a great time, Woodstock Fruit Festival. Uh, I don't know for sure that we're going to be back in 2016, but I'm kind of really hoping that we are. And we're going to have Michael Arnstein, who is the founder of that festival, also known as the Fruitarian, and a really great ultra runner. He's going to be on the podcast pretty soon to talk about all his normal stuff. And then also, I'm sure we'll talk about the festival as well. Uh, but if you do want to go this year or are interested, then check it out. It's uh, the WoodstockFruitFestival.com. And the code. Is there a V in there? The WoodstockFruitFestival.com. Okay. Coupon code No Meat Athlete. There's no dashes or no spaces or anything like that. Uh, but if you do that, you can save $100 if it's your first time and you're an adult and you're not staying in a private room. <laughs> so, a couple restrictions there. But. Uh, Anyway, do that. It's a great festival. Really, really great time. And listen to our podcast episode on the Woodstock Fruit Festival, which is two years old now. Uh, yeah. But I don't know what episode number, probably in the 20s or 30s, early days of No Meat Athlete Radio. Uh, but but I think that – I like that episode. That kind of, I think, gives a good flavor for how, how, how excited the festival kind of made me about eating in a kind of cleaner way. Yeah, you, uh, you were on a raw – Fruitarian kick there for a while. I was. Tried it for a while, and still, while not nearly raw now, I uh, have incorporated a lot of that stuff into my diet, and before noon each day, I tend to stay mostly raw with breakfast, and even lunch some days. So, there you go. All right, let's get into this. So, I guess I don't want to just make this telling my story, because I don't think that's that interesting, but I'll, I'll certainly cite some specific examples. We'll tell my story. We'll tell Doug's story, yeah, because <laughs> that, that is interesting. 
No, just kidding. Um, anyway, how, how do you begin to make a transition like this, or how do you start a business or something that's good that you think is going to help a cause or start a movement or even just create accountability for yourself? For me, the answer is just start a blog or podcast. Uh, it seems like a very simple solution to something as big as how do I start a business, but that's exactly what I did. I, I knew that I wanted to to start do something that meant more to me than what I was doing, which was math in graduate school. Knew that I didn't want to become a teacher, and I wanted just to start my own thing, whatever that was. And at the same time, I had made this transition or was making the transition to vegetarian. Also was a runner at the time, and I thought this might just make for a really cool kind of thing to, to share this experiment online, see what happens, and then maybe somehow one day it would become a business. Did you start to blog in, with the intention of or thinking that it could potentially become a business? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the thought was in my mind that like, hey, maybe somehow this this may, maybe is the thing I've been looking for all this time. Because really, ever since I grew, graduated college, it was like, how can I basically not have a job? How can mm-hmm. I start doing something that really matters to me? Um, but that, but that somehow makes money, right. and that was a very hard thing to find. So, of course, when when this came along, it was like, hey, maybe this will be that thing. But even if that hadn't happened, uh, it still just would have been a really fun, useful, and worthwhile experiment for me to do. Just kind of a diversion from, like I said, the math that I was doing in in grad school it would have been a nice hobby. So, what I did, you know, the idea of how do you start a business? That's to me is overwhelming and and scary, and you think of risk and you think of putting all this money into something and all the fear of failure. What's so nice about starting a blog or starting a podcast is that you don't have that risk. I mean, there's, I guess there's some risk of failing or of, of telling everyone about something and then two weeks later abandoning it. Mm-hmm. But it's such a minimal investment in terms of time and money. I mean, you don't need any money at all to start a blog or podcast. Uh, it just makes it really doable. So I, I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't, the, the furthest I could think about it was maybe one day people would buy No Meat Athlete t-shirts. That was it. Didn't think that this would turn into a successful business, but I thought if I just start putting out information into the world, the stuff that I know about cooking and what I'm and running and what I'm now learning about plant-based diet, if I just start putting that out in the world, maybe people will start reading it. And if they do, and I go six months or a year or whatever, however long until there's an audience, then at least when I'm ready to actually start a business or whatever I am, at least then I'll have people who are paying attention and care about what I have to say and trust me, and it will give me a better place from which to launch a business. Mm-hmm. So I just had no idea, though, that that, that would actually become the business, that Nomad Athlete would, would be the thing as it was, that it, that the blog wouldn't be just the platform that you that you build while you're waiting to start a business, that the blog would actually become the business. So I think that's a really, really neat thing, and pod, you can say the same thing about podcasts these days. Um, so either one, to me, they're, they're kind of equal in, in what they can do. There might be advantages or disadvantages to to each one, but I think you probably know which one is more you and which one you enjoy consuming more, and yeah. that can probably help you pick one. Yeah, I think being comfortable with whatever you're doing, whether it's a YouTube channel or a blog or a podcast, whatever medium you're most comfortable with, that's the one you should start with, of course. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to someone who... You know, I, I think a lot of people have this. They they have this idea as a subject that they want to talk about, they want to write about, but they feel like they don't really know very much about computers or, or they don't know much about podcasting and they don't want to start until they can get everything perfect. They have the best mics and they have the best designed website and all that stuff. I think a lot of people get hung up on that step. Yes, definitely. 
Uh, and I think you know my answer to this, Doug. I, I do know your answer, <laughs> and it's probably very similar to my answer. Yeah. And I mean, it's a theme that we've talked about a lot, I think, during this in this podcast, in, in other areas, too, when we talk about running and eating well and everything else, it's that you don't that that perfect being the enemy of good idea yeah you don't want to it's so easy to just do the stuff that's not because i mean as hard maybe to some people as it is to to get the computer stuff going that's not as hard as or as scary as hitting publish and saying okay now my stuff is out there Mm -hmm. now i can be criticized no one's going to criticize you because you you mess up getting your website correctly right getting it getting on the internet correctly um so that's that's easy stuff, and, and I mean it's it's hard for some people. It's way easier now than it was when I started it. So it's been mm-hmm. six years now, and it's amazing how far just those tools have come. And you can do with one click stuff that took me entire evenings of trying to you know, <laughs> change code stuff. Right. Uh, so that's the, it's a very very small thing now, but I think because it's so easy, there's there's maybe even more of a temptation now to get something really nice, good looking. Like for me, when I was starting, it was like if I can get this thing on the internet. That's a success, and and I'm good. Mm-hmm. Now, there are so many different things you can do, and if you're willing to pay like twenty or thirty or forty bucks, you can get a designer or get someone to make it even better. And I think you can just keep tweaking and keep preparing without ever actually starting. Right. Yeah. And I think you know, honestly, I think the most people kind of hide behind that. I want the blog to look perfect, or I want the sound quality to be perfect. When really, the thing that's holding them up is is like what you said the fear of hitting publish and putting yourself out there. And so they're hiding behind this, you know, the logistics of it when really, when really they just need to hit publish and then the rest of it will kind of come. And of course, like you said, no one's going to really care that much, especially when you're first starting out and you don't have very many readers. If your if your blog doesn't look uber professional, um, you know, just because you have a really nice theme doesn't mean you're going to all of a sudden become an instant hit. You know, really it's the quality of, of what you're saying that, that's going to help you out. Yeah, it totally is. And I think aside from all that, I think it, just a better strategy is to – because you, you can spend a ton of time doing that right. and, and have the perfect-looking blog set up or the perfect-sounding podcast. And then if the content's not there, it'll just flop. No one's going to care about it or read about it. Right. Um, so – I think it's. I think a smarter thing to do is just just start, even if it's on the worst looking blog you can imagine. Like Nomad Athlete started on nomadathlete.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a logo. Didn't have an image. It was just a text page, and uh, you know you can. I did it, and then two weeks into it, I'd written I think fourteen posts. I'd written every single day, and I said this is working. So now I'm going to start putting time into that right. other thing. Uh, I think a lot of people probably put tons of time into something and then realize it doesn't work. And that maybe they have to change their whole title, logo, everything might just change because they, they finally started and realized that what they thought was going to work didn't. So I don't think you should ever assume that anything, that, that your ideas are correct. I think, I mean, really when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's all about testing. And even if it's not in a formal way, I think just, just getting started with, with the smallest step possible, just write something or record something, get it on the internet in some form or another, and you'll you'll find out pretty quickly whether or not it's worthwhile to you whether it's catching on or even if it's not whether you feel like this is fun and rewarding and it's worth then putting that time into to to get the site right get the sound quality right yeah all that stuff does matter but i think it's second to the content right the er, rock creek runner started as a personal blog called the heisei and i had Mm -hmm. no ambitions of that becoming a real business you know i I had some ads up there and stuff that i thought i could make a little bit of money off of uh which i quick learned Google ads uh, <laughs> do not really make you any money unless you have tons of traffic. Um, but 
it started out as this personal blog and I was writing about anything and everything. And eventually what I found was that the content that I was most excited about and the content that people were most excited to read was running related. And so the audience and my interests kind of shaped where, where it went, how, what the blog became, what the business has ultimately become. And that, that took trial and error. If I had started out just talking about politics or, or local news and things like that, like I was doing, and I thought that that's what I was going to do, mm-hmm. then it would have quickly flopped because I would have realized that that doesn't that wasn't what I really wanted to write about, and that wasn't what people wanted to hear from me about. So yeah, and that that's such a crucial thing is that, uh, and that really, that goes back to this. That's a form of testing. Really, you're testing to see what the audience wants to hear about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, you don't have to have. A business idea. You don't have to, like I said, no media athlete for me was going to be maybe people will buy T-shirts to this, but if they don't, it's still worthwhile to do this. It turned out that I was tapping into something way with much much more potential than that, and I just didn't realize it. But in the process of of building an audience, talking to people, learning what posts were popular, uh, reading other blogs, I started to figure out that actually there is more of a need here, and I can do a lot more than just sell T-shirts through this right. thing. So. Uh, yeah, just like you. I mean, you you kind of by just starting, you start to learn things. So mm-hmm. if anyone out there is is curious about all this stuff and says, "Wow, that would be really neat," but I have no idea what I would even do. I mean, I would encourage you to start a personal blog, even right. if even if that's y- yours was called the Heisei and it had to completely change to Rock Creek Runner. Right. Did you get rid of all that old Heisei content, or did you keep that when you it's, moved it over? It's backed up somewhere, but it's no longer live anywhere. But it's not on Rock Creek Runner. No. no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you might have to do a complete restart, but. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Doug, you would agree that that however long you spent doing the Heisei was tremendously valuable in doing Rocky Runner. Right? I mean, oh, that, that's how you yeah. got on. Did you write a guest post for Nomi Athlete on the Heisei? I know I we did, got a yeah. link from there. You did. Um, yeah, yeah. I yeah. When the, my first guest post on Nomi Athlete was uh, when I still had the Heisei. At that point, I was writing mostly about running, um, but you know, it still was a personal blog and, and nothing more than that. Yeah. Um, so even though you had to do a complete restart, right? It Although it looks like a complete restart, it wasn't really because you know. For example, you had formed that relationship with me, and now look, you're sitting in my house. <laughs> uh, right. Of course, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what people wanted to hear from me about, and and you know, at at that point, I learned how to to write better. Although I've still, you know, I came a long way since the launch of Rock Creek Runner as well. Still have a long way to go, but you know, all that kind of all that stuff develops, and that uh, you know, you're nurturing your your blog and your business and your ideas by just getting started. Yeah. So even if even if you're at the phase of like listening to us talk about using a blog for accountability, maybe you're getting into running or you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to go vegan, just start the blog or the podcast and make it about that. And you don't need to be offering any value to anyone. You can just be using it as a journal. That is that is really what No Made Athlete was for me at first. Mm-hmm. Just do that at first and you will get the experience that, that is valuable to you. So if, if you're in that place where you have no idea what type of business or movement or cause or what you want to create, but this all sounds really interesting, then I think every day that you're not blogging is kind of a waste. I mean, you can <laughs> you can get it started now and just start getting experience with the whole thing, even if it's not even close to what you eventually will do in that arena. Right. What about, Doug, choosing a topic kind of on that on that same note, right? If, if you don't know what you want to write about or do about, you know what your interests are, right? I'm going to assume people here are interested in, in plant-based stuff, running, fitness, cooking, food, eco-friendliness. Let's say someone's in that. I mean, how do you go about starting a topic? It's not easy, but I think we can give a few basic guidelines 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think the mistake that most people make, and this this kind of counters a little bit what we were just saying, um, <laughs> but the mistake that most people make is, yeah, they're interested in all these things. They're interested in the food and the fitness and the healthy lifestyle. And so what they end up doing is, is starting a blog or um, or a podcast that is just very, very general. Um, and when a topic is very general like that, it's hard to hard for people to get excited about it, right? Because it's not perfect for anyone because it's just too general, right? So what we recommend doing or what I recommend, and I think you agree with me, is to find a really specific niche like trail running or running on a vegan diet or or dog walking or, or something like that or how to put a leash on your dog during <laughs> so it doesn't attack runners you know find some topic that you're really passionate about and that you know a lot about that you can be an authority figure in with um and and start there and then if it expands and grows to something like this you know the podcast certainly has expanded to grow to something like this but it started out as a much more niche yeah subject yeah i mean i would agree completely when I when I thought of no meat athlete, and by the way, this is a good strategy. It's just it's called a crossroad strategy. But figuring out what what how what can you be the intersection of what two topics mm. that that maybe don't go together at all in most people's minds, but that you can see that there's some kind of interesting intersection of. Uh, so so think about you know what you like and think about how how do they mix and match, and can you find two of them that go together and would make for kind of an interesting uh, I don't know counterpoint. <laughs> um, so that's what I did with No Meat Athlete. Honestly, my fear at the beginning was that it was way too narrow. I thought, and, and I mean, it was more true back then in 2009 that there aren't enough people who are interested in this. I thought there aren't that many people who are interested in marathon running anyway, because when I talk to people about that, they're like, well, that's crazy. You know, why would you go run 26 miles? They say right. the exact same thing about being vegetarian or vegan. So I thought to be both of those things, that's kind of asking a lot of a potential audience member. And I thought maybe I'm not going to reach anybody. Maybe this is just too small a topic. But I think that is one of the big reasons that it actually did work is because the topic was so narrow. Uh, I was lucky to choose a topic that has grown a lot since then. So there's plenty of blogs and podcasts out there now about the topic. Um, but I think just the because it was so specific, like you said, when the right person comes along for whom that is right for, they know right away they say, this is for me. This is what I've been looking for mm-hmm. versus – if you just start a general running blog or a general vegan blog and someone finds it, then it's kind of like, eh, I mean, who knows? It, it just, it doesn't really affect anyone. So, right. uh, I mean, and this is a big, this is a scary thing. People don't want to, Limit. they don't want to turn off people, right? They don't, right. yeah, they want to keep it as broad as possible. But really, I think it's so important that that you are writing it for one specific type of person and not for everybody else. Yeah. So don't make it for everyone because they say if you're writing for everyone, then you're writing for no one. So no right. one's going to show up and say, this is for me if it's so watered down that it's designed for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think Nomi Athlete is a perfect example of this. When Katie first sent me a, a link to, to your website, you know, it was it was like all these bells just went off. And, you know, I was like, this is the pers- perfect person for me. I'd just gone vegetarian. I was into running. And all of a sudden, there was this blog that was about going vegetarian and being a runner. And, you know, it didn't really matter if if – you know, if I agreed with everything you were saying or if it was all relatable, I, th- I thought that this was a great topic and this was the site and this was a guy who, who I could connect with. Mm-hmm. What you said about being an authority, I think that's also important to, to uh, I don't know, I guess I guess just touch on or modify that you don't need to feel like you're an expert in a topic before you can start a blog on because that's a huge fear of people is mm-hmm. they, they locate one person on the internet who knows more than they do about a topic <laughs> and they say, well, therefore, I don't have anything to add, so I'm not going to say anything. Uh, 
that's completely wrong because if you can find that one expert on the internet, I can guarantee you there's someone who's a beginner for whom that person that that, that person's not reaching because either they're speaking in in too advanced a manner, they're, maybe they're aiming at intermediates who want to become experts, mm-hmm. um, or maybe they're just not relatable. Maybe it's a male and you're you're a female, and or, or the the potential audience member is a female, and and for whatever reason it's just not connecting because that person needs to hear it from a female. Uh, it, you know that that same thing could be applied to any other facet of your personality. Maybe it's not done with a sense of humor, and the person who you want to reach needs it to be done with a sense of humor. So. You know, no matter who you are, I'm sure you can bring something unique to it. Really, I mean, you don't need to be the expert. You you need to be willing to learn, I think, and and hope to become the expert. That that's what I wanted to do at first. I liked cooking. I liked running. I had read plenty of running books and nutrition books, but I didn't have anything that I would call expertise in that area. Uh, but I was just willing to to start and and in in researching blog posts and and reading books that people would send to review and starting to talk to experts. I actually got to know a lot more about it. So you don't need to be that at first. Uh, just just think that you're going to be talking to a different person than whoever the expert or the experts in in your niche already are. So don't don't feel like because you're not the world's foremost expert on this topic that you have nothing to offer there. You you certainly do, and it could be as simple as people. I mean, there's there's a whole blogging niche about people who just blog about the food that they're making each day, uh, and I mean people like it, right? Because it's it's fun to hear each individual's personality, sense of humor look at their family and how they do things and how they make stuff work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, there are as many different people out there or as many different blog ideas, I think, as there are people out there. So it doesn't, you don't need to feel like you're the expert. Yeah. Good. I would, I would agree with that. I'm glad. Okay. Uh, what else do we have to say here about this? Well, you know, I mean, what about um, the thing that's on everyone's mind, which is actually making some money? Making money. Right. Uh, you do need to do that if you want it to be a business. If you wanted to just further a cause or start a movement, you don't necessarily need to do that. But if there's a way to do that, then it certainly makes it easier for you to spend more time on it and do it better. So I'd say don't be afraid of making money. I think people are a lot of time, like this person who asked the question, are a little bit shy about that idea that they need to make money to, to support what they're doing. But I think that's a totally legitimate, valid thing. You need to support this stuff. So the most basic kind of I'm afraid to do anything else example would be have a donate button on your site and ask people to support what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not calling out people who have that and, and saying that they're afraid to do anything else. There, <laughs> there's some really great sites that are purely donation-based, right. and uh, and, and they, they like it that way. They don't want to sell stuff. And because they think that selling stuff or running ads or anything else that's kind of third-party commercial would would kind of you know make, make their stuff seem less genuine, uh, less trustworthy. So, you know... That's an option, right? Just ask people to donate. It's very simple to to do that. There are all kinds of good ways to do that. That's what's so neat. Is like when when we started, it was get a PayPal donate button mm-hmm. and put it on your site, and that still is one. But there's what's that company that was trying to get the podcast thing? Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> um, Not Pantheon. Uh, part. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, right. But there are all these companies that. Um, it's kind of like Kickstarter fundraiser type things where you subscribe and uh, get promised certain Patreon. content. Patreon, that's what it is. Whatever that means. Uh, yeah. Like so become so, where you become a patron. Yeah. So and so they they provide a. Yeah, but what's a Patreon? I, don't know. I mean, I think it's a play on the word Patreon. Right? But you just play on a word by inserting a random letter, and then you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So and it's not even Patriot. It's a, it's an E, not an I. Right. 
p-a-t-r-e-o-n i don't know i, I think we're overthinking okay. it a little bit uh sorry patreon <laughs> anyway there are platforms for doing this so like if we wanted we could make the we could have and we thought about doing this have a, have a podcast uh you know, special supporters area mm-hmm. where those who donate a certain amount each month on Patreon for us would get access to some special content or other perks and things like that, uh, which is great. It works really well for some podcasts or some blogs. Uh, just it's different from as simple as putting a PayPal button. It's it's neat to me that there are so many different options now, mm-hmm. so many different companies that exist to really to to find ways to support blogs and podcasts and all these neat things in routes other than just selling stuff or running ads. Right. So there are so many things now. I mean, T-shirts is an obvious example. That's way easier now than it was when we started. You can have a Shopify store. You can have print-to-order companies where you never have to have the T-shirts in your house like we used to for the longest time. Um, you can There's affiliate marketing where you can recommend products on Amazon, and we still do this. When, you rec- when we recommend a product on Amazon, usually we use an affiliate link, which means that if you buy it, we earn some small amount, something less than 10% of the cost but if you're good and if you're talking about a specific topic then uh then that might turn out to be a huge income source for you right like if you're talking about stereo equipment or or Mm -hmm. maybe cooking supplies or blenders then you could potentially earn a lot of money from just recommending a product that you really like i mean of course you've got to keep it genuine if if you start recommending stuff that's not good just because you just because it pays well uh, you're not going to be in business for very long. I mean, people are going to, to stop trusting you, and, and it's just not going to work. So never never should you should you do that, of course. And I like to disclose it as much as possible. I mean, we don't interrupt every podcast to say, and if you click this link, you're going. it's going to be an affiliate sale. But I think we do that more than most podcasts and most blogs do. I just like to be upfront about that sort of relationship. Uh, what else, Doug? We, I mean, obviously, selling digital products, right? Creating, yeah. creating your own... 30-day way to do something or your course in how to do something. It used to be ebooks. Now it's way, way easier to easier than it was, I should say, to make membership sites where there's kind of a login password-protected area and only people who have paid the monthly fee or the lifetime fee or whatever can get in there. And again, thanks to the technology getting better, you can put video content on there really easily now, audio mm-hmm. content, all kinds of different multimedia, and really share as much of your knowledge as possible with somebody. So... I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I, we've listed about five ways to make money. Of course, there's good old advertising, just straight-up podcast ads, uh, the banner ads that you see on a lot of blogs, the Google ads like you mentioned. Coaching. None- there's, uh, you know, coaching for if you're doing – if you're a fitness coach or a, you know, anything. I mean, any subject. You can coach someone on how to start a blog or, um, or whatever it is. You use your expertise or – um, yep, and I think that for for our audience, that's probably a really big one. There are probably a lot of fitness people or health people, yeah, who really could help someone or help someone yogis. cook or shop or I mean, all this stuff. You know, you could coach someone in that area. And coaching also, as it turns out, is a really nice low risk way to get started, right? Because you don't need to spend a lot of time developing your product, right. only to then see it flop. You can actually do this coaching at some whatever your hourly rate is. And through that process, you get to know who's reading your stuff and mm-hmm. who's paying for your services mm-hmm. and what do they really need so that then you could maybe one day create a product that will sell without you physically having to show up and be there and do a coaching session. Right. So that's a really good one. Uh, I mean, there you could probably think of a hundred different ways to make money on, on a website or a podcast if that was if that was your goal. There's so many different ways to do it. Um, so don't you know don't don't get stuck in one box just because you think that there's no advertisers in in whatever area you're you want to do your thing in. 
you can always find something that's going to do it. If you, if you get people listening, reading, and caring about it, you're going to find a way to get them to support it, I think, by and large. Yep. But I think one thing you mentioned, Doug, about ads, finding that they don't work that well, uh, like Google ads. Mm-hmm. I think when I, it makes me sad when I see people who start brand new websites, or even if I give someone some advice on how do you start a website, how do you start a blog, and from day one, they want to put those Google ads up there so that right. they can make 13 cents a day when someone clicks their thing, if that. And I mean, it's like, yes, it's nice that you can do that and that you could start getting money for your efforts. But <laughs> 13 cents a day isn't going to let you start any kind of business and it is going to make your site look somewhat cheaper and and not that attractive to someone who otherwise might say hey this is a really really cool site i can tell this person is really passionate mm-hmm. i want to support this i want to share this you know every, every time you put an ad up like that it's going to take away from it a little bit right once your audience is there once you have established an audience and you've got a lot of people and putting up that google ad is going to make you 13 dollars a day or or 130 dollars a day then it's a worthwhile trade-off right yes you're going to lose some people who say i don't really like this advertising on a site but you're going to gain something that that now maybe enables you to do this as a full-time job and then you can do it better so yeah there's a place for that advertising but the first week that you have your site is not it it's just it's just not worth the Mm trade-off yeah and and right now there are so many ad companies out there and they're so easy to add ads to your site that it's a very tempting thing to do and and pop-ups and all kinds of annoying uh, different ads that they have created now, um, and you know, in general, I think that they just turn people off. So, we would advise against that while you're first starting out. Yes. I think. All right, I've got another uh, potential pitfall to avoid here, Doug. Oh, let's hear it. It is don't build your whole platform on a social media site, Ooh. right? So don't make a Facebook business that. I mean, I see so many people who give me their business card, and mm-hmm. they don't have a website. They have a Facebook.com/slash my dumb vegan cooking business. <laughs> no, no, no. That's what I said. Uh, <laughs> I see people who give me those that that have that, but it's also their their dog business. And and their one Facebook page is their vegan cooking business and their dog coaching business and something else that's completely unrelated. Um But so even if it's even if it is just one niche, what yes. what, why why would you advise against this? If you do that it's like it's like you were starting a farm but you're doing it on someone else's land and that person is someone who moves around a lot. They might just sell their whole property or decide they're financially unstable, so they might decide to, to start charging you tons of money. Yeah. Maybe Facebook they, is they not They charge unstable. you to pull those carrots out of the ground. Exactly. So if you're on Facebook, and Facebook has done this, they can, they can start changing the rules and making it that you now have to pay money to reach the people who have liked your page, which is exactly what they've done. Yeah. Right? And I'm not saying that that makes them uh, not worth considering. Like Facebook ads are still useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm certainly glad that my whole business wasn't on Facebook, and then now it costs money to reach customers. That that would be a really bad thing. Right. So you want to have your own website, your own URL, like anomiathlete.com, not even anomiathlete.wordpress.com. First of all, because it looks better and makes you seem more legitimate. But second of all, you want to be actually the one who is hosting that site. And it's somewhat more involved, but not really that much more involved with the technology. I mean, it's a few extra clicks and, and paying I don't know, fifty dollars to a hundred dollars per year to have your self-hosted site. Yeah, and I completely agree with you, one hundred percent. But I do, I do have one question. What about YouTube? A lot of people are getting into they're becoming YouTubers, right? Where mm-hmm. they post daily videos or weekly videos that are fun and, and pick up a lot of steam. 
Um, what about what about that? I mean, I think it's I think it's valuable. I'd be really really scared if that was my business. You yeah. know, like these platforms have a place for sure. It's great that that you can go on Facebook and suddenly reach a bunch of people who are interested in this topic. Same with YouTube. People are searching there, and if you just start putting videos on your own website and not sharing on, on YouTube, you're going to have trouble getting in front of anybody. Right. So they're useful tools, but if I was a YouTuber, then aside from all that YouTube ad money I was making, I would, as much as possible, be driving people back to my site so that they could sign up for my own email list so that I would have the ability to email them when I wanted. Even if YouTube one day changed the rules and said, we're going to cut their ad rates in half now or by 75%, and suddenly everyone's business is totally disrupted if, if that's your only uh, way of reaching people or a way of making money. So I just feel much better about having your own email list, your own website where you can do what you want. You don't have to follow the rules. I mean, you know, if you're on a Tumblr, I don't know if Tumblr allows ads or not, but if you're just on a site where it's not yours, someone could change the rules and say, well, there's no ads allowed anymore or there's no selling allowed anymore. You know, it, it, those rules, they change all the time. So I, mm-hmm. I would be very scared to do that. Uh, just have it on your own thing. It takes a little bit more work to set it up, but it's it's absolutely worth it. I agree. Completely. Speaking of which, go to nomadathlete.com and get on the email list so that <laughs> if iTunes ever changes their rules, we can still reach you. <laughs> That's right. Right? It's for, it's for people's own good, too, not not just ours. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Good. So that's important. Uh, big mistake that a lot of people make. Just because it's so easy to, to start up on social media and you know there's there's little initial investment that you can just get going. So a lot of people do that, but then they never remember to go start their own thing. Okay, what else do we have, Doug? Another thing we haven't mentioned is Kindle, right? Being an ebook author, that's a big niche that I've seen happen before or seen working is people writing ebooks and churning them out and selling them for a dollar or three dollars each on Amazon Kindle, uh, it's a good format, and it's kind of cool that you can do that. You can be an author now; you can be a fiction author, just writing your stuff, publishing, self-publishing. And I think that's that's kind of the message here: is that is that yes, eventually you can build your stuff up enough so that you do get quote unquote picked by a publisher or a producer, or who knows what. And someone picks you and says, you're the next star, we're going to publish your thing, and we're going to put it out there into the world, and, and you know, you'll know you see all these riches from it. Like, yes, that's a nice dream, but there aren't a lot of opportunities anymore to be picked. right? It, that, that's the old model of, of media happening. And it still does happen, but what's amazing, is what we always talk about, is this idea that you can pick yourself. And that's what that's what putting out your own stuff is, uh, having your own website is. It kind of, it, it's your asserting that that you have something valuable to put out there into the world and i think the kindle thing is a really cool example that that you literally can just avoid the big book book publisher now if that's your goal you can start typing your books up putting on amazon and start seeing actual money from them a lot of authors are doing this people who previously were unable to get published are now seeing success as authors so i think that's a really unique format um and you never know maybe maybe doing that is what leads to the book deal that you sought for so long and, and couldn't get, but now because you're able to self-publish, that actually puts you in a place to get picked. Right. Yeah, that's another really good one. And at the, in that in that scenario, you're using another platform, but you still own all the all the content, right? So you could, if they all of a sudden changed everything, you could republish it some other way. Yeah, and I think you I think you can. There are certain Kindle programs where you can't do that, but the basic Amazon Kindle store, I think you can also be selling that book on your own site without any kind of problem, right? right? Selling a PDF of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So anyway, that's maybe a little bit off topic, but I was just thinking about books and publishing and getting book deals. But and people want to know that you know, they want to know how do you get a book deal. But I think the the answer is do something that makes it so that it doesn't matter if you get a book deal or not anymore. Right? Mm. Start start putting your own content out because that's how you're going to be noticed, and that's how a publisher is going to decide that you're worth taking a chance on because they've seen you selling your own stuff. They've seen people reading your stuff before, right. so they're not afraid to take that risk on you. So the irony is that once once you get picked, you you don't necessarily need that anymore. Once you're in a position to get that, you don't really need that anymore. But once you pick yourself, everyone else will start picking you. That's the other side. Yeah. That's the way to get picked is to pick yourself. <laughs> Good. Pick yourself, by the way, is a Seth Godin term. We should give him, we should give him uh, props for that. Shout out to yes, Seth Yes, because I know Godin. he listens to this podcast. He might. You yeah, never he know. Listen to this he's a, he's had listen. his podcast limit. He just wrote that on his blog the other day. Oh, I missed that one. Maybe one of them. We talked about it last episode. Oh, yeah. We did. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. We did talk right. about that. Yeah, I do remember that. Okay. So anything else, Doug, to add to this whole thing? I mean, we've given... Now, you know, I like with this. I like what we've done here, Doug. This is a nice... <laughs> we didn't get too nitty-gritty with the technical details or how to produce good content or how to write strong headlines all of which matters, uh, but I think I think we, we got specific enough that we did give some good pointers. Yeah, and and I think just to hammer back on what we started on was just to get started and, and get going with it, no matter what it is that you want to do or what topic you want to cover, just go for it. Yeah, start it. I mean, you're, you're adding something to the world when you start doing that. When you start putting your knowledge out of your head and out there in public, People can respond to it. People might reject it, which is which is really a good sign. I know it's hard to accept that. Yeah, actually, I would like to talk about that a little bit. Okay, um, let's do it. <laughs> what What about the negative feedback? The negative comments of people saying that you know disagreeing with you, or an email that just says that this is totally bollocks. Yeah, I mean, How it's do terrible. You deal with that stuff. The first time it happens, it will ruin your day, and you won't be able to stop thinking about it, no matter how mm-hmm. many positive things you got to to you know balance it out. Uh, it's it's not fun. Uh, just doing this now for six or seven years, I've I've stopped really caring about it. Like it just doesn't really matter anymore to me. Um, because I guess I finally th- there's this this lesson. I think Seth Godin said it, and I'm probably botching it, but it, but it was basically that you're either going to be ignored or you're going to be judged, and you have to choose one. You can't have it both ways. You can't not have your work judged and hated by some people if you want people to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Right, so if you if you want people to to say, hey, this matters, this is worth having opinion having an opinion about, mm-hmm. then you're going to get some people who don't like your stuff. And to me, that that has become a signal that I'm doing something right. Because for the longest time, I didn't get those messages very much. Didn't get people who didn't like what I was doing. And what I, you know, some mentors that I paid attention to online were saying, that's a bad thing. You you want to be getting some negative stuff because that's a sign that you are taking the risk that you should take. Uh, that you're being polarizing enough or, or being worth having an opinion about. Right. If everyone likes you, then probably nobody loves you, would be my guess. Mm. What if everybody hates you? I, I suppose there's a way to make money off that, too. <laughs> I, I totally know. No. But if everybody hates you, then there's probably one person who adores you, would be my guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that is, that is such an intimidating thing. When you put yourself out there and you, you publish something um, and – when you when you get that first negative comment or those first few negative comments, it's tough. It's really oh, yeah. hard. That's and, the hardest that, part of that this whole thing. That makes people want to quit right there. You know. Yep. Or there's the fear of that happening. Mm-hmm. Is is when we talked about the fear and the hard part being to hit publish or to actually do it. 
I think that's what people are afraid of. Even if it's not a conscious fear that, that they're worried about other negative criticism coming in, rejection is what usually they're afraid of. People people not liking their idea, then someone responding maybe and saying, you're not good enough, who do you think you are? All, I mean, that's a very real real fear. The way I got over it was just taking those tiny risks at a time, right? So, so you start writing a few blog posts. I don't know, maybe you get something in the first few days that's negative, hopefully not. Um, eventually you do, but by then... Hopefully you've developed enough of an audience that you can say, like, yeah, but but a lot of people do like this. <laughs> and then, I don't know, you like for me, Brendan Brazier was a huge thing in the beginning that he was willing to do interviews on my site because for me that was kind of validation. It felt like, okay, someone who actually does know thinks that this what I'm doing is worthwhile, worth taking their time to do an interview for. Mm-hmm. And so then I could I could advertise that or put that in the sidebar that, that in my popular post list would be interview with Brendan Brazier. And I think to a potential criticizer or critic i guess is the word they say for that um you know maybe they would say hey this guy interviewed better major so maybe he does a little bit know what he's talking about or maybe this is worthwhile maybe i'm not just going to send a random dumb comment hate comment to this right and i feel like you can kind of bootstrap it where so then then that enabled me to interview other people because i could say hey will you do an interview because i interviewed better major and you can mm-hmm. see the post here and you can just kind of use one step to to get another level and i think each time you do that you gain a little bit of confidence, a little bit of bravery. So I remember when I wrote uh, some of the, the first, like, information posts on Nomadathic that weren't just, you know, here's what I ate for breakfast today. I did that series of uh, what to eat before, during, and after a workout. And I did a lot of research, you know, looked up in a bunch of running books about different topics and, and kind of figured out exactly what I wanted to tell people. But for me to position something and say, this post is going to be called the seven secrets of post-workout recovery – that was a scary thing because that was no longer me saying, here's what I had for breakfast, but here's what you should do to recover from a workout well. And mm-hmm. and that's a big shift from saying, like, I'm just I'm just writing about my life so no one can criticize that, although right. they find ways to criticize that, <laughs> um, yes. to, to I'm, I'm now positioning myself as someone who can actually give advice. That's, that's a big jump, and I think you can you can just kind of gradually make it. Right? So that when I made that, that was a, a step for me, and I've taken other steps like that. And, and you just, you know, each one – when it doesn't result in disaster, adds to your confidence a little bit so that you can take a bigger step the next time. And uh, and that's that's the way I've done it. Yeah. No, I, I think that's similar to the, the way my approach. Um, and I always have to just remind myself, when someone does post something or shoot you an email, it's so easy to, to judge someone and to comment on something anonymously or almost anonymously um, in a negative way. But it's so hard to put yourself out there and, and you know, start that blog and and so what you're doing is just is is so much of a i don't know you're so much stronger for doing it and and so much better for doing it um and so i just have to remind myself that a little bit and and say you know what who cares what that guy's what that guy thinks and there's a there's a good quote i think it's theodore roosevelt about it's not the critic who who counts but the one who's in the arena you know doing the doing the fighting and and that's a fantastic quote i used to have it on my screensaver, it was that good that I put it as my screensaver. Wow! Yeah, did it like rotate back, like twist around? <laughs> it did. Three D. Yep. Yeah, it was good. Uh-huh. Flying toasters around it, all that. Cool. Um, <laughs> there's that. I mean, yeah. There's no statues erected, erected to critics. That's another thing that I've told myself many, many times. And yeah, that it absolutely is a battle that that you need to fight. Hopefully, not so much in the beginning. Hopefully, that's not a major fear of yours. But when it happens, and and as you get more popular, it will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's something to be, you know. But I don't know. I think I think you really get good at – like I remember you – I would used to watch interviews about athletes on TV and they would say, well, I don't even read the press. I don't care what people say about me. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember thinking that would be so hard to do. Like, like if you were in any kind of position where you were known enough that people actually were saying things about you, wouldn't you want to just devour that information and read those articles all about you? But I found that it's so much less stressful just to not. I mean, like, and I'm, I'm just talking about on a much, much lower level, but like reading Amazon reviews, I just, I just don't do it because I know if I do, then I'm going to remember the ones that were negative. Right. And it's a shame that that prevents me from taking the joy out of the positive ones. I suppose I could have someone, maybe you, Doug, filter out <laughs> the reviews and just send me the good ones so I can, uh-huh. I can see those. Um, but actually not, not that different from that tactic is I do keep a folder in my email uh-huh. of nice things that people say. So when someone writes an extremely nice email, I fire, or for, file that away so that in those moments, or whether, whether it's someone has just criticized something and I'm feeling bad about that, or if it's just that I'm just, for whatever reason, not feeling motivated that day, I can go in that, that folder, know there's not going to be anything bad in there, and just reread you know hundreds now of nice things people have said that mm-hmm. really touch you and make you realize why you're doing this. So I learned uh, that from you, and I do the same thing. Oh, yeah? yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Good. It's great to... We like hearing positive feedback. It makes us feel good. We sure do. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of, you could leave us positive, positive feedback <laughs> sure on, in iTunes, and that would really help us out. <laughs> that would. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that's good enough. We've we've done a thorough treatment of this topic. I guess I didn't quite maybe say all that much of my own story, but I, I said how I got started. Yeah. Right? Grad school... Just started putting information out there. Said that I was going to write every single day for like 60 days or something, and I did it. And uh, and it worked. Soon enough, Google started sending traffic. That was actually – people wonder where do you get traffic. For me, that was the strategy was write every day for a few months so that there's just a sheer volume of content on the internet so that Google will start noticing you and sending you traffic. Mm-hmm. Just because you have enough stuff out there that theoretically someone will be searching for something that your thing is going to be a good match for. Right. So there are many, many other ways, other traffic strategies. Definitely too uh, specific for for this episode to get yeah. into. And there's tons, tons of great resources out there. Oh, there's so many. How to there's a million. Yeah, how to start a blog, how to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there's a huge industry around that stuff. Right. A lot of it spammy and and bad, but some of it very good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well. All right. Good discussion. Very good. Good talk. All right. All right. <laughs> Wrap it up. Thanks for listening. We will be back soon. Right. Bye.